0: My name is Nicola, a.k.a. Socrates, and you're watching Singularity One-on-One. If you guys enjoy the show and want to help me make it better, you can do so in one of two ways. Number one, you can go to iTunes and write a review for the show, or number two is you can simply make a donation. Today, my guest on the show is Jack Andreka. Jack was the 15-year-old miracle kid that recently came up with this most incredible Cancer test uh, that uh, made headlines across the globe. And I'm very happy to have him today on the show. Hi, Jack. Welcome Hi. on Singularity One on One. Thanks so much. It's great to be on the show. Fantastic. So let me start our interview, Jack, by saying happy birthday first.
1: Oh, thanks so much.
0: Yeah, I, I am uh, Facebook and uh, <laughs> LinkedIn friends with Jack. And uh, I noticed that uh, it's been just a couple of days since your birthday, isn't it? Yeah, just two days. Just two days. So how old are you now, Jack? I'm now 16. You are 16. That's amazing. You are by far the youngest guest on my show, my friend. Thanks so much. I'm super excited. (laughs) So, Jack, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: So I'm a 15-year-old kid. I go to a regular... Sixteen-year-old kid. (laughs) I haven't gotten used to that number yet. I go to a regular public high school. I'm a sophomore. And what I'm really into is pancreatic cancer research, specifically diagnosing pancreatic cancer. And I do whitewater kayaking. I do math competitions
0: and, of course, science there. That sounds fantastic, Jack, but... Let me ask you this before we get into the details of what you do, how you do it, and what your goals are. Why cancer? Why not, for example, when I was your age, I was more interested in things like video games, movies, and girls rather than Mm -hmm. cancer research.
1: Yeah, so a bunch of people asked me how on earth did a 15-year-old get interested in cancer, no less pancreatic cancer. So I actually became interested in pancreatic cancer when a close family friend who's like an uncle to me passed from the disease. And then I did a bit of research and I found that 85% of all pancreatic cancers are diagnosed late when someone has less than a 2% chance of survival. And then what I found is that our current modern medicine is a 60 year old technique that's older than my dad and it hasn't really changed much. And then also it's grossly inaccurate. It misses 30% of all pancreatic cancers and also is really expensive. It costs $800 per test. And so it's I knew there had to be a better way, pretty much. Wow,
0: that's a, that's a very brave, very courageous, very ambitious thought from a 15-year-old. So tell us, what happened then after you had that thought then?
1: So after I had that thought, I kept looking around on how was a 15-year-old supposed to make a difference here? So what I did is I went online to Google to learn a bit more. And what I found is what we currently do is we're looking for proteins that are in your bloodstream, and they're released when you have these different types of cancers. And so I first had to have a really good one of these biomarkers in order to detect pancreatic cancer accurately. And so then what I did is I started with a database of 8,000 different proteins that are found in your bloodstream when you have pancreatic cancer. And I just started going through them, plugging and chugging, seeing which ones, their characteristics, all this different stuff. And finally, on the 4,000th try, I was close to losing my sanity, but I eventually found this one protein called mesothelin. And essentially what's so cool about it is, is this, this ordinary protein, random than male protein, unless you have pancreatic, ovarian, or lung cancer, in which case it's found these grossly overexpressed levels. And that's really easy to detect. However, there's not really a method to detect it quite out yet, that is really easy to use, and then also pretty sensitive for it. And then, in addition, what's so cool about Mesotheon is it's found in the earliest stages of the disease when someone has less than a two, per, or it's found in the earliest stages of the disease when someone has a hundred
0: percent chance of survival. Wow, well, that's that's absolutely fascinating. So, you had the idea that you want to do something about it. You came to the idea of how. You can go about doing making a difference then what happened
1: so then what i did is i was like okay so i have this biomarker but how on earth am i going to attack this this has been a question that has been bugging scientists ever since they found these proteins and so then i was i actually came in a very unlikely place my high school biology class which is an absolute stifler of innovation (laughs) And so then essentially what happened is I smuggled in this article on single-walled carbon nanotubes, essentially atom-thick tubes of carbon, and they're 150,000 the diameter of your hair. So they're extremely small, but they have these amazing properties. They're kind of like the superheroes of material science. And so I had this paper on their specific properties. And then what I was supposed to be paying attention to was this thing about antibodies. And an antibody is essentially, you can think of it like a lock and key. It essentially bonds specifically only to one protein. In this case, there's going to be mesothelin. So I was thinking of how it's going to combine how these antibodies react with a certain protein with how these carbon nanotubes have these amazing properties. And then in the middle of my biology class, it just hit me. I'm like, what if I put the antibody in a network of these carbon nanotubes such that then I'll have this network that reacts only to a specific protein, but also it changes its electrical properties based on the amount of the protein present. And so then this change was so great, in fact, that I found I could actually measure it using a $50 ohm meter from Home Depot. And so then- this new idea and unfortunately just my biology teacher, I swear she had like eyes on the back of her head. She just glances out of the corner of her eye, sees me as like young man, bring me that paper. So after class, I finally got the paper back after 30 minutes of lecturing about respect from her.
0: So now that that whole thing has sort of blown over and you've made headlines across the world, uh, Does she feel a little bit better about you spending your time, your focus on that particular paper rather than her biology class?
1: She actually has not talked to me yet because she was at my middle school and then because I took high school biology in middle school and then there was high school and so I haven't talked to her but I'm pretty sure she would change her attitude about that.
0: (laughs) I, I I would imagine so too myself. So then you have basically the prototype idea, but do you have a prototype device? Do you need to yes. produce one? And how did you come about doing that?
1: So once I had this idea, I was like, where am I going to do this? Because first I brought it up to my family, and they were like, Psh, no, you're not going to be able to do this. And I talked to some teachers, they were like, Psh, nope. And so then what happened is I was just like, okay, you guys going to not support me on this, but after a while, my family did become very supportive of me. I have to really thank my mom because she helped me all, all along the way, driving me to the lab and stuff. So after I have just been like, kind of put down there a bit, I essentially went and emailed 200 different professors at Johns Hopkins University and the National Institutes of Health. And then what happened? I was kind of expecting, I emailed them my procedure, budget, timeline, materials list, all this stuff was a really formal proposal. I was like, I'm going to be able to walk into whatever lab I can. They're going to love it. And then reality struck, and (laughs) I got one maybe and 199 rejection emails, one even going the distance to slowly go through my entire procedure, saying why each step would not work. and So it it was pretty depressing that one month period where I was getting flooded with these emails saying no. And then essentially what happened is this one person said, oh, you might be able to work in my lab. So I finally nailed down a meeting with him after three months and I go into his lab and I to have to time in a lab setting for a science for project. And he sits me down and starts asking me all about my procedure. And then he calls in his, like, friend professor from right next door. He's like, this is this kid. Here's his procedure. I ask him a few questions about it. And then he starts bringing in more and more and more people from around the lab. <laughs> they all keep asking me different questions. I'm like, oh, crap. But I answered them all correctly. I guessed on a few. I have to admit that. And then once that happened, I... He was just like, okay, you can work in my lab. And so this guy is going to be helping you. as was a postdoctorate student there. And then I just went into it and there were many, many failures over the course of seven months. Like in the first month, I was like, this is going to work. I'm going to be out here, up here in three months. And it did not go like that. I made so many mistakes. Nothing was working. I was thinking maybe my parents were what? Right. Maybe there's 199 professors are right. However, after seven months, I finally had filled up all those mistakes, and I ended up with one small paper sensor that can detect pancreatic cancer with 100% sensitivity and cost three cents and took five minutes to wrap
0: My goodness. So your final, is that uh, still considered to be a prototype, or is that the final version?
1: Um, it's definitely a prototype. Right now I have that patented. It's a patent pending, an international patent pending, a U.S. patent. And essentially what's going to happen now is I'm talking to several different large companies like LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, BioRab, all these different companies. And I'm talking about the mass production of it, because also running through clinical trials, because I want to get this to market as soon as possible, because a 100 people die of pancreatic cancer every day. So when I'm working on this, my inspiration is, how am I going to save a 100 lives today? And what I'm doing right now is I'm working towards getting it through clinical trials and getting it to the market such that I can help save lives. So that's currently what I'm doing, and it's probably going to be changed. It'll look more like your home test of a di- for diabetes, and mm-hmm. it just requires a drop of blood, and it will test you for pancreatic cancer in five minutes.
0: That's that's really fantastic, Jack. And and let me ask you this, from the sort of a point of view of the adults' world, where things don't mm-hmm. work out that quickly or that cheaply. Uh, what's the time frame that you expect? would take you to take it into mass production and to the market. And it's so, what cost because you're telling me three cents and that's absolutely flabbergasting. That's incredible, incredibly cheap. It, it's, it's almost free practically, right? Mm-hmm. Three yeah. cents is, is nothing. Everyone can Correct. afford it. Even, even in the third world.
1: Mm-hmm. And so essentially what's going to happen is I thought, oh, it's going to be three cents. Everyone's going to be able to afford this and also it'll be out in the market maybe in a few months. And yeah. then I'm talking to my patent lawyer. I'm like, so when, when do you think this will be out? And she's like, oh, probably another like five to 10 years. I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, it has been through clinical trials. That's several million dollars. And I'm like, oh, well then. So because I was like, maybe I can start my own business, but I do not have a million dollars and then also i'm still a high school kid i want to go like prom and stuff and so i'm just like okay let's give it away to a company who knows how to bring out these devices and and because i want to get out as soon as possible and also what's so cool is that since it's a diagnostic test that's pretty non-invasive you can get through fda approval in about two years and then it will be kind of like homeward bound from
0: there. Now, when you said better give it away to a company, do you mean that you'll be collecting royalties or and they'll just take care of production and distribution for you?
1: I'm not exactly sure how it's working out. It's a long way off. Currently, mm-hmm. I'm looking at like non-disclosure agreements and
0: stuff. Yeah. As an adult, I would just say that I hope that a young, promising fellow like yourself would be able to keep the controlling portion of that amazing breakthrough as you deserve to, in my view. So I just hope that 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 works out best for you in that case, in that mm. sense. And also that you're able to actually take it to market much faster. And, yes, it could help you when you use a company with established, you know, network of distribution. That can be incredibly helpful, and it can speed up the process in also many ways because they know what they're doing. And yeah. at the same time, you have to be careful that, you know, uh, you can reach the largest number of people and you also, you know, rightfully retain ownership of, of your own creation, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, so let me ask you this then. Uh, what, what, What's your plan? What's next for Jack?
1: So what's actually next for me is I am currently getting together a team of all high school students. I'm the team leader for it. And essentially, this team of all high school students were competing in the $10 million Tricorder X Prize.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's to develop a smartphone-like object that you just scan over your skin and can diagnose any disease. So I'm really, really excited about that. It's a bunch of the top young scientists. So I'm like, we're working on it, and we're probably going to be getting together this summer.
0: Yeah, I am a former Singularity University alumni, and uh, I know Peter Diamandis personally. He's been a featured guest on this show, uh, mm-hmm. just like you are now, Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, there's, I think, maybe about 30 years difference between you and him, so I can only imagine how far you're going to get by the time you're his age. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, do you plan to, to attend Singularity University, for example? Um, so I'm talking that over with my
1: parents because they're, they're kind of, they're from the East Coast. They're used to traditional education. So they're like, first, because first I brought up was the Teal Fellowship and they're like, I'm not too comfortable with that. (laughs) So I I have to get them into the West Coast side of thinking, the Silicon Valley side of thinking, but they're, they're really excited about all this and I'm just mapping out my future right now. So maybe, but. I really like Singularity University, definitely. I want to go there someday.
0: Yeah, as, as somebody who's been there, I can say it's a, it's absolutely amazing place, and it's a place where you wouldn't meet too many people who would tell you this is impossible, and that's impossible, by the way, <laughs> in contrast yeah. to the rest of the world. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I was actually, I got to speak at their closing ceremony of this year, so it was really cool to meet all those people.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, and, and at the same time, I have to say I totally sympathize with your parents and, and their view on traditional education because, just like them, I also personally believe that it is important uh, and it does matter. Uh, so, Jack, now that we are on the topic of uh, the future of education, I want to ask you, so what's your view about the future of education? Do you think that traditional places such as universities would continue to play important role, or do you think that knowledge would be disseminated through the power of the Internet and therefore access to education and to the tools, just like in your case, you were able to Google some answers to your questions and then brilliantly come together of how to put all those different parts together. So do you think that it would be more, more people would be able to avoid going to school and straight going into their fields of interest?
1: Yeah, so I definitely do see a large education reform on the horizon. I'm not really sure how far away it is, but... I do think that in the future, the internet is really the only possible way that we would be able to educate the masses in you know, essential with a university grade education. And it's my belief that university and education, uh, it should be a basic human right, that everyone should have the right to be educated. And I believe that on the internet, if you use it correctly, then you can definitely follow your passions and that the Internet will become more broadly used in um,
0: education. Mm-hmm. <sighs> You've mentioned two words that I care a lot about, and they're basic human right. Uh, <laughs> so let me ask you this uh, perhaps a little contentious question about whether healthcare, in your view, is a basic human right. And let me say that, you know, I am Canadian, and in Canada we generally have a very clear and explicit view on that topic, <laughs> which is Traditionally, rather different from the popular view, it seems, in the United States. So, let me ask you personally do you think that uh, healthcare is a universal right or not?
1: I do believe that healthcare and correct um, treatment of individuals is a healthcare for everyone, and that everyone should be able to start on the same playing field. And so, to me, also, that brings up another important note that the current approval systems for different drugs and diagnostics definitely need to be reformed because certain medications or diagnostic tools are not being able to get to the market fast enough in enough countries. And that is a for sure fact and costs far too much money to bring a drug to development because we have all of these different fragmented drug system or drug approval systems Mm -hmm. from all these different countries and they all have different rules. And it's really, really confusing actually. And so, my opinion, we should just have a universal healthcare system and a universal healthcare approval system for different drugs and FDA approvals, and that would make medicine, that would revolutionize how we treat healthcare medicine, and I believe that we do need that because our current methods are not acceptable, treating symptoms
0: and getting drugs to the market far too late. Mm -hmm. Well, let me bring another relevant issue to you. Uh, You Based on your experience with the sort of drug approval, or the, in your case, the test approval process, uh, and bringing things to market, you know better than anyone how hard it is, and, and or better than most people, and how long it takes. But do you think that? I mean, are you taking any measures to uh, do your best, as you said, to make your invention more accessible? by people from across the world. Because uh, what happens traditionally when some, especially of the big pharmaceuticals, get, you know, patent rights and, you know, they get monopoly over their inventions for the next ten amount of years, and then perhaps the cost of the development has been increased by a factor of 100 by the time you get something to the market, if not by a factor of 1,000. So you can have a prototype that costs three cents, And you end up with, you know, a device that goes in the market that does that same thing for, say, $100. Now, in our context here, in North America, $100 may still be, you know, infinitely better than the quote that you made in the beginning of $800. You know, that's an improvement of a factor of eight. But for people who may be suffering from cancer in the third world, the cost of a $100 test may be absolutely prohibitive.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I definitely want this to reach everyone. I want this to be low cost. I want it to be widely accessible to everyone. And then also, I think that's extremely important to deploy. Not necessarily in third world countries where cancer survival statistics are grim. However, they're not as bad as that in the third world. If you diagnose it early, then, and catch it early, then you can most certainly treat it. And So I believe that we must get this to the third world. And that is my human duty as a human, like my basic duty to do that as a human for other people to not be greedy and want money from this. I want to save lives with this instead.
0: Jack, you're very inspirational. And let me tell you my story here to to the degree that it is relevant. You know, um, I was born and grew up in Bulgaria. Um, at the time it was towards the end of the cold war, but unfortunately my mother had cancer when she was 28, she was diagnosed with a certain kind of limbical cancer, um, which was affecting the lymph nodes on her neck. And by the time she was 38, she passed away. Actually. Um, I was 13 and a half when she died. So for me to, to, to hear, you know, breakthrough progress from, from people like you is absolutely flabbergasting, and it gives me hope for the future. So I thank you very much for that. Thank you. Uh, Jack, let me ask you the the next thing then is, uh, now you, you you said that you've been in contact with Singularity University. You were at their graduation ceremony this year. Yeah. What, what about... Uh, starting a startup company because Singularity University is very much like an incubator uh, for startup companies and of course their whole goal is to improve positively the life of a billion people within 10 years and I think your project, your invention has a fantastic potential of accomplishing just that. So were you approached by people who suggested ways to uh, start up a company or and bring this to market yourself?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, I was. So, um, actually, I've been in contact with a bunch of the people at Singularity, specifically um, one, Naveen Jain. I was actually just up at his house, and he was talking to me all about startups. And I'm like, I have no clue how to do a startup. I'm just going to kind of pass this on and make sure that it gets to the masses and go on and try to make a startup company from that because – I just do not have the experience, I don't have the resources, and I most certainly do not have the time, unfortunately, to bring this to market on my own terms. So I'm going to have to go through a different distributor that has much more experience. However, I do want it to be more about saving lives and getting money.
0: Mm -hmm. You said you do not have definitely the time. So how do you spend your days nowadays? Do you go to the lab or... So currently what
1: I'm doing, like, for example, the reason why I say I do not have the time is because I hardly have time for school. Just because, for example, back in September when this was like breaking news, I was in school maybe two days for the entire month. And mm-hmm. that first quarter was nearly impossible to keep up with. Yeah. But also, I only have one childhood. I do want to make the most of it. But I do see how making a startup company would help me in my adult life. So it's actually this constant battle with yeah. myself as to whether to make the startup company or not. And what I've decided is I'm not going to do it. However, with my Tricorder X we are already becoming incorporated. Soon,
0: so, oh, so you are incorporating your team for for pursuing that goal of the X Prize Foundation. Yes. So you okay. are oh, making the startup there. That's great. I'm sure Peter Diamandis would be happy about that, too.
1: Yeah, and I'm getting advised by um, Bob Richards from Lunar um, Express. Yeah. Because me and him are really good friends now, and so he's advising me on how to gather funds and all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so I just
1: thinking about stocks and stuff. So.
0: That's fantastic. So I guess you wouldn't be uh, having a short supply of sponsors. <laughs> That's fantastic to hear, Jack. Okay, um, I think we are approaching towards the end of our interview here. So let me ask you the traditional two questions that I always ask of guests on my show. So the second last question is always, where can people find more about you and your work, Jack?
1: So what you can do is there's actually, um, if you just Google my name kind of, it will pretty much come up in a bunch of different places. And unlike most Wikipedia pages, mine is quite accurate. So you can look up there and it has my method and all of that. And then also, um, I have, if you go onto um, the 10 World Talent Search, I give a talk there and it speaks about specifics on the data and stuff
0: of my test. Mm-hmm. And so if you're interested about the results and stuff, you can look on there and would you be popularizing any test results from the clinical studies that you're conducting uh, on the way to bringing your product to market or is that going to be sort of behind closed doors
1: unfortunately i think it would be behind closed doors because mm-hmm. i'm not i'm going to be overseeing the clinical trials kind of like i'll be in coordination with them about them mm-hmm. however they'll be mainly the ones doing the mass testing since i don't have the capabilities because yeah. i'm just one child and my maximum capacity is making like 24 of these test strips at a time.
0: Yeah. No, no that's totally understandable, of course, yeah. Uh, okay, Jack, so as I said, you're absolutely inspiring me for the future. I mean, when I talk to young people like yourself, uh, I am very optimistic about the future of humanity in general because we are living, you know, our planet in good hands here. But uh, let me ask you from your point of view, do you have a single message, something that you'd like to say out there to all the viewers and listeners who will be watching this interview?
1: Definitely. And that is that most people think that the internet can serve only as a distraction, and that's kind of just something that detracts from your lifestyle. And in my opinion, that, that notion of a lot of parents and some students is completely wrong. If you... Use the internet correctly. It can serve as a forum for ideas. You can exchange ideas with people all around the world. And you don't need a degree from a prestigious university to have your ideas valued. And then also, in my opinion, that you don't really need to post your duck face pictures of yourself on the internet <laughs> and take pictures of your food. Instead, you could be changing the world, regardless of your age, your gender, who you like, who you don't like. It's just your ideas that count. And so instead of doing all of that, you could be changing the world. So if a 15-year-old kid who didn't even know he had a pancreas at the beginning of this project could find a new way to detect pancreatic cancer, just imagine what you could do. Wow,
0: Jack, that's that's fantastic. I wish you never changed, and I wish there were a lot more adults like you. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say I really enjoyed uh, this interview Uh, with you today, and I thank you very much for taking time to be with us.
1: Thank you.